Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that is passing wisdom to the next generation of youth sports parents and coaches. And I'm your host, Coach Furtado. In our episode today, we interview communications coach Betsy Uderick. She's worked with Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and WNBA teams on their communication skills. In this episode, she shares a lot of really great and impactful strategies that we can shift in terms of our communication so that we can impact our athletes on a greater level. We also share some different stories and opportunities for coaches to not only make an impact through their language, but also their their, their verbal language, but also their body language. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast, Betsy. I'm thrilled for our conversation today as we hit restart on our start of our podcast. Um, really looking forward to just talking about communication because I feel like it's something that I try and strive every day to be better at as a coach. And I'm hoping to pass that wisdom on to the coaches and parents that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. So as we dive right in, the first question we ask all of our guests is what is your definition of impactful leadership? Impactful leadership for me is leadership that transfers ownership of knowledge. So I know that I've been an impactful leader if I've given away something that I have some knowledge about or some skill around to the point that the other person now feels like it's theirs and they can use it whenever it benefits them now and in the future. Yeah, I love that because for you and a lot of, I know your work is through communication and communication is obviously it affects teams and sports, but it's when players are done playing sports, like it will affect them their entire life. So transferring that knowledge on communication and and all the nuts and bolts that go within it, um, I'm sure there's a lot that we can unpack there. I'd love for you, you know, first, before we unpack all of that to, you know, share your story of how you became a communications coach. Sure. I have a background in athletics and a degree in psychology, but I'm not a sports psychologist. I started playing sports when I was three with soccer, and I played all sports growing up and then played basketball and golf through college. And right when I got out of uh, college, I started as an intern with Stanford Women's Basketball. I grew up in the Bay Area. I'd gone to camp as a camper, and then I'd worked Tara Vanderveer's basketball camp. And so she asked, you know, would you like to, to, inter- to um, intern with our program? And of course, the answer is yes. Like, what an amazing opportunity. So I started with Stanford. And then after that season, I went to the Seattle Storm and I worked on their staff under the late Ann Donovan. And then I got on at the University of Washington when they hired an all new staff for women's basketball. And then after a year at Washington, I left Washington for Occidental College. Heidi Vandeveer, who is Tara Vandeveer's youngest sister, became the head coach at Oxy, asked me to join her on her staff. We were there together for four years. And then at UC San Diego, I was with Heidi for three. She is still the head coach at UC San Diego. And I stepped off the court in 2015 to do what I'm doing now, which is working with athletic departments and teams as a coach and communications specialist. So my work is really divided between Supporting coaches of all sports at all levels, whether they're an assistant coach, an associate head coach, a head coach in developing the areas that they want to grow in, in order to give their best to the student athletes in their program. And then I also work with athletic departments and teams as a communication specialist, knowing that everything improves when we improve the quality of our communication. So if we're going to do the really hard thing, like try to win a championship, let's at least become more intentional about our communication so that we make the hard work easier to do, or at least we're more effective in the way that we communicate with each other. 
Absolutely. So my, my first question would be like, you've had a, a, a plethora and a wealth of experiences it's working and coaching under a lot of other great coaches. I'm curious, you know, with communication, and I'm sure that each coach had their communication styles, but were there any common like running themes within each coach that you had an opportunity to work with that you felt was effective for, you know, communicating with the team? Or do you feel like maybe each team, each coach has their own communication style and, and maybe even each season is different? I think the most effective coaches that I've worked with or observed their communication style shifts or changes in response to the people on their roster. So every year we get new players on our roster and different people need different things. The trick is how do you retain your authenticity or your integrity within making those small shifts in your communication? And that's always the, I'll say the challenge, but also the opportunity is how do I coach from a place of authenticity? How do I remain true to my integrity while also making adaptations in my language so that I can be most effective with the person that's in front of me? 100%. I'm curious, like, what, what do you mean by adaptations in, in language? I feel like I have an idea, but I'd love for you to you know, dive more into that. Yeah. Part of what I love about communication is it is so varied and can be so nuanced. And I don't think there's a limit or ceiling to what we can learn about communication and communication styles. An example would be what one person on a team might find very motivating, something that a coach says, another person on that same team might find demotivating. So for example, as a coach, I was someone who tended to remain a little more calm, but there were likely players on my roster that may have responded differently if I was really hyped or really passionate, right? In the same way that if you yell at a specific player, they might shut down and not respond versus if you say the same thing in the same tone, to another player, you might get a very different response. So this is what I'm talking about when I talk about, you know, shifts or changes in how we communicate based off of the person we're trying to connect with. 100%. So how, how is me as a coach, how do I develop, you know, those, obviously those relationships, but also how am I learning? What, what am I looking for and listening? Let's say like I yell at a certain player and they, they don't respond as well. Like how do I kind of figure out, especially for me, like I'm starting a new team, a new season, I'm learning a lot of my players. Like I don't know yet how all of them want to be communicated to, but I I also understand that they, they are each individuals that need to be communicated differently too. So for those coaches that are, you know, starting new seasons, like what, what's the best process to learning the different communication styles that work for our players? A few different things. And it all starts with awareness. So being aware that you as one person are unlikely to hit the mark perfectly with every single person on your roster. And I think where coaches miss an opportunity is it's okay to say that. It's okay to say at your first team meeting, look, as your coach, my goal is to be as effective as possible in communicating with you so that you understand what needs to happen for individual growth, but also to achieve our team objectives. That said, there's likely going to be situations where it's not as effective as I want it to be or as you need it to be. And those are conversations that I would love to have with you. Another way you can go about it is if you do individual player meetings, let's say at the start of your season, to ask the question like, hey, think about coaches that you've had in the past. What's been most effective for you in terms of how you receive information or asking the question, how do you like to learn? Some people need to be shown. Some people want to watch before they try doing it themselves. Some people want to drop, like jump right into doing it themselves. Like I, I can only learn it if I actually do it. This is helpful for us to know when we're doing things like creating a practice plan or organizing drills. Like how can we be efficient in organizing the people 
to put them in positions to be successful. So for me, the short answer to your question, Justin, would be have the conversation in whatever way feels appropriate, given the context for your sport or the timeline that you have, while also making people aware that this is my intention. I may not always hit the mark, but when I miss, please have that conversation with me so we can continually get better together. I think while we're on the topic of conversations and awareness, I think one of the biggest things uh, that you know can make or break a team is having those challenging conversations, right? Yep. Those conversations where, you know, my intention as a coach doesn't meet the impact that it had on that it might, you know, my intent for the impact, it had a different impact on a player and they took it the wrong way. And so right. I'm curious, you know, in, in your experiences, how do coaches have some of those challenging conversations? Yeah. And that's, I'll say a lot of the work that I do is shortening the distance between intention and impact. Oftentimes with coaches, coach says something, they have this intention, unintended impact is negative or detrimental for the team. But this also happens between anybody, you know, in relationships and partnerships and friendships and family relationships between student athletes. It often help, happens as well, where, you know, uh, maybe you've got a team captain that has a very assertive, direct kind of communication style. Right. And you've got a newer member of the team who doesn't yet know that individual well enough to interpret the intention from exactly the way they experience that communication. So there's all these nuanced ways in which with improved quality of relationships, with greater perspective, with higher quality information, we can start to be intentional about, okay, this is what I meant and this is what you heard. And sometimes I've had coaches ask, tell me what you heard. When I said that, tell me what you heard. Sometimes they get the message repeated back to them verbatim. Sometimes they get the interpretation of that message. And now you've got better quality information on how to change the messaging to be more specific or land a little closer to the intention. One strategy that's been really helpful for folks, and this comes from the book, Crucial Conversations. If you're listening and you want to be intentional about getting better at having those difficult conversations, two resources I love to recommend. One is Crucial Conversations. Get the second edition. I believe that's the most up-to-date. The second is Fierce Conversations. They read very differently. Crucial Conversations is so well-researched. I think it has four co-authors over 30 years of research. Fierce Conversations is a little more relational. You're going to have um, poetry excerpts and song lyrics and, and different analogies. So it feels a little more, I'll say warm in that way, while still being very supportive in how to have difficult conversations. One of the tools from Crucial Conversations is this idea of a contrasting statement. And a contrasting statement is a don't, comma, do statement. And you can use it in one of two ways, either before a conversation to avoid miscommunication or when you notice a miscommunication has occurred, you can use it to clarify. An example would be, Justin, I don't want listeners to think that you asked me to be on the podcast because they are terrible communicators. I do mm -hmm. want folks to understand that communication is complex because people are complex. And the more time we spend being intentional about our communication, the better chance we stand at connection. So it's a really subtle way to say, whatever it is you're worried the other person might think, that becomes the don't part. You uh, name the thing, put it out there, and by naming it, thereby remove that as a barrier. You're saying, I don't want you to think this. And they're like, oh, well, that's kind of what I was thinking. So now you've created that connection. And then you follow it up with what you do intend and what you want them to understand. It's really effective. Very subtle, really effective. Interesting. So uh, I'm going to try and use this in a, sure. in a context of 
what it was kind of, uh, I was practicing. So I'm going over, like I'm teaching the freshman and sophomore team. Right. And so at the time right now we are, you know, maybe doing a little more basic drills and fundamental drills. And I do have some players that are probably a little bit more advanced. So okay. I could, I could be like, one of the reasons we are doing this drill is because I want to go over the fundamentals of basketball. It's not to say that you don't know how to do this already, but it's something that I want to continue and have us master. Good effort. Where there was a little hiccup was when you said the word, but. So hmm. I don't want you to think that I, I think you don't know how to do this, but make that ah. button and. So it's either I don't comma I do, or I don't period I do. The but will throw people off. Being right. really concise and saying, look, I don't want you to think that my perception is you don't know how to do these drills. I right. do want us as a team to get really solid in the fundamentals so then we can start executing higher level skills. Right. So it's, it's a really little things because honestly, Very that's, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because no, everyone's like, oh, I, I know you're a really great player, but you do this, right? Like that's yep. the, it's the biggest insult to injuries. Like, why did you even yeah. give me a compliment in the first right. place? Exactly. And it, from my own personal experience, I mean, there's so many times where a coach said, Hey, Betsy, I think you're doing a great job. It's like, yes. And then they say, but it's like, no, oh, <laughs> so it's the same yeah. situation when a coach says, Hey, Betsy, I think you're doing a great job. And then you're like, yes. And then they say, and I'm listening. I want to know how I can improve, like help uh, me improve to help the team improve. I'm open to that feedback. Yet it does feel like a backhanded compliment. Or why did you bother right. saying that when people hear, but it's like what they just heard gets thrown out the window. So, but contrast two things. And sometimes we want that contrast. I'm always really clear when I talk with coaches or teams or administrators of the invitation here is, isn't to never say, but it's, can you listen and become more aware of the times when you do say, but, and then can you look for opportunities to, instead of, but say, and, and then recognize the difference that it makes in a conversation. That's fascinating, actually. I, I mean, I I knew that but always was that word, but I never had thought about like it as an, an, an and thing. I'm curious, you know, what other like little like language tweaks do you find that, you know, are com are, are simple and you, okay, I, let me rephrase. What are some common like, you know, language mistakes that we make that have some simple strategies that we can fix like the but and the and? Yeah, and you mentioned one right there. You said rephrase, and that's one of my favorite words because one area where people are often less aware that they have a choice that could create a better outcome is their use of negatives. So our brain doesn't process negatives in the same way that we understand them when we speak them. And I wish I knew this when I was coaching basketball, because oftentimes, let's say end of a game, my team's up by two, three seconds left on the clock. The other team needs to inbound, go the length of the floor and score in order to tie or win. Both teams are in the bonus. Any foul is going to be free throws. My team comes over and I likely said something, Justin, like, okay, we're in a great position. The only thing we can't do is foul. Whatever you do, don't foul. And the team's like, mm. yeah, don't foul, don't foul. And then we go back out and the ref inbounds the ball. And within half a second, what happens? They, yeah, they foul. They foul. So subconsciously, a negative acts as a little blip on the radar and we pay more attention to what comes next. And people have experienced this in their day-to-day -day life all the time. The thing you're trying not to do, like if I'm throwing a ball in an area like the house where I know I shouldn't be throwing a ball and I think, oh, just don't hit the, and it's like guided missile right towards the thing that I was trying not to hit. Your uh. brain doesn't process negatives in the same way that you understand them when you speak them. 
So it benefits us to rephrase in the positive. When you tell people what you want them to do instead of what you don't want them to do, you are much more likely to get the outcome you're looking for. So even small shifts like um, when we say, don't stop playing, rephrase that as keep playing. I always ask teams, I'll break them into groups and I'll say, okay, you've got 30 seconds in your group. I want you to write down all the negative phrases that you hear coaches or teammates say that start with don't or stop. And they get really excited and they write them down. 30 seconds in, I'll say, okay, pause. I want you to take those same phrases. And now I want you to rephrase them in the positive. Instead of saying what you don't want, how would you say what you do want? Right? So instead of like, I think about school and elementary schools, the rules are often posted on the wall. And it's like, don't, 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 don't. Mm-hmm. Let's tell them what we want them to do. Instead of don't yeah. hit each other, it's keep your hands to yourself. Like these are small shifts that anybody can make. And that's one of the ways in which changing our language changes the environment, changes the experience, changes behavior in a way that better supports success. That's really fascinating because I'm thinking about it. Like if that's probably the reason why, like if you say, don't do this, that the person will obviously do it. And then yeah. the coach becomes frustrated because it's like, don't, I said, yeah. don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was really like, clear. You were, yeah. and yeah. our brains interpret it differently. I was working with a team recently. They just come back from their team retreat and they said, oh, it was really cool, Betsy. We went to this place with these caves and there were stalactites and stalagmites and there was a sign on the wall that said, do not touch the walls. And I just had to touch it. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, well, there's a reason, right? Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So if I'm going to give it an example right now, like I yeah. have, uh, you know, for, for this one, one, you know, player and specifically, they like to take 20 dribbles to get to the basket. And I know yesterday that I said it, a couple of other coaches said, don't use, you know, 20 dribbles to get to the basket. Instead, I, we should be using, you need to use three bas- three dribbles to get to the basket. Don't even mention that, you know, X number, like give yeah. them that what they need to be doing or like with the foul example, right? Let's play good, clean defense, hands off, make sure we yep. stay in front Keep of Keep your space, person, move your feet. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, and you can even, so there's avoiding the, the negative, right? And then there's also being explicit about what you wanna say in the form of a command or a directive. And then there's the invitation to ask a question. With that individual who currently takes 20 dribbles, the demand or directive could be get there in three, right? or attack the basket, or whatever phraseology works really well for that individual. Another route to go would be inquiry of, can you get to the same spot in fewer dribbles? Or mm. can you can you see, do you think you could get there in three? Like you can make it kind of a challenge depending on the individual, right? Once they know it's possible, especially when you ask a question, we get a greater level of buy-in because they're now they're telling you what you can expect instead of us just as coaches telling them what we expect. It's a different dynamic and it creates a different relationship. Now that's, that's really interesting. I, I actually have a follow-up question on inquiry because yep. I, that's something that I've tried to make a big shift in. And I know we've talked about it previously here on the, on the Bridging Impact podcast is instead of always talking at our players is, is asking questions yep. like, like, can you get there in three dribbles instead of being like, I know you can get there in three dribbles. Right. Yeah. Kind of, like, again, go back to your definition of ownership and kind of transferring that knowledge to them because when they articulate it, they start to own that, you know, wisdom more. Correct. Same thing when we debrief drills. It's really easy for us to stop a drill and say, okay, here's what's not going well. Here's what you need to change. Different thing if we ask the, the student athletes, what do you think is working well in this drill? And what do we want to do differently before we start up again? Same thing if you blow your whistle. And, and I like asking the question, what does your whistle mean? 
Like when you blow your whistle as a coach, is it always to make corrections? Is it sometimes for celebration or acknowledgement of what's going well? Like it matters. It matters. And it's often a tool that we use frequently, but we don't think about the unintended impact or the conditioning that's happening every time we blow our whistle. Because if I only ever blow my whistle to make corrections, every time I blow my whistle, you can watch it in the body language of your athletes right away. They're like, you know, here it comes, right? What do I do wrong now? Which if that's what you want, okay. Are you aware that that's what you're doing? When you stop, it's very easy to make the correction. Again, basketball example. If I were to say, okay, um, when the defense or when the offense is here, or when the ball's here, you need to be here defensively. Very simple, very common. Different scenario. If I say, when the ball's here, where do you need to be? Because mm-hmm. now I'm getting better information. Do they understand where they're supposed to be? Anyone can go where you tell them to go, especially if you're visually pointing while you say it. But do they know? Because if they don't know, now I need to, that goes back to me as a coach of, okay, what didn't I communicate well or what they don't, what don't they understand that I can make more clear in order to support their ability to act in the way that I need them to, to support team success. So totally different interactions. When the ball's here, you need to be here. And especially with the context of time as coaches, often, depending on the context, there's very limited time to get the information across. I have rarely met a coach in any sport that says, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do in practice. We just have so much time, right? Hmm. It's like, they're always like, oh, there's not enough time to do everything I want to do or get done today. Right. Part of that impacts the fact that we do give directives or commands or tell our athletes what to do much more so than we ask. And it's a stickier learning. It's a higher level of engagement and it's a greater level of ownership when they tell us instead of us telling them. Now they may tell us the wrong thing, that's a teachable moment and that's okay. Simply asking not only allows them to be more, I'll say proactive in their learning experience and to transfer that knowledge, it also engages their peers in a way that's different than if I'm simply talking to one person. If I'm telling Justin where he needs to go, that conversation doesn't apply to me. If I'm asking Justin where he needs to be, right away their peers are thinking, oh, what would I say if coach asked me that question? Mm. It's different. Yes, and so much of it is, honestly, I feel like we're running a, an efficient and effective practice is making sure that we keep and tap, make sure everyone is engaged the entire time because right. the more, as, as I've noticed, you know, the more coach lectures throughout the time, I can start seeing heads start to kind of wander, right? And I yeah. think as coaches, we want them to be lo- locked in and really focused. So I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and so what do you think, in terms of uh, body language, you know, for communication and yeah. what I've seen different statistics on what percentage body language is and, and how does, I know that one thing I have to get better at before the season starts is body language towards referees. And mm. um, but I just feel like in general, like, you know, when I, when someone asks you about body language, where do you normally go? I usually go to Hollywood and Steven Spielberg. Um, There was a great story that I read once about how when Steven Spielberg was teaching film students, he would say, if you can turn the volume off on a movie and still perfectly understand what's happening in a scene, that's a really well-written script. So thinking about that as coaches, if I were being filmed on the sideline or in practice and somebody who wasn't present for practice didn't hear what I was saying, was observing, what would they think was happening in that practice? So it always starts with awareness for me of, of how, how can I become more aware and therefore more intentional about the message I'm sending when I'm not speaking, when I'm listening to an athlete ask a question, when I'm watching an athlete make a mistake, like the first three seconds after an athlete makes a mistake are very telling 
as far as what's going on for them internally or how quick their failure recovery is or isn't. And oftentimes we try to make a correction in that space where they're so internally critical, that voice is so loud, they can't hear us or be receptive at that time. So knowing body language as far as how are we showing up to our athletes, is my body language in harmony with the words that I'm saying? So am I sending one cohesive message where the words coming out of my mouth match my facial expressions, my body language, and they all share the same intention? Or are there things out of alignment? And then specifically, what am I saying when I'm not saying anything? What's the message that I'm putting out there? Mm, that's good. What am I saying when I'm not saying anything? I, I mm. think that's a good point. And I think that's something that I've had to think about too before, because sometimes, you know, I can just, you know, sit back and be a little bit more quiet, but then it's like, oh, coach, you know, maybe it's, it's sensitive. Oh, coach doesn't care or, or whatnot. So right. trying to be kind of mindful around and intentional around, our, I think, our language and our body language. And so I'm curious, you know, like through, again, like through coaches you work with, um, how, what are some of the best ways to be intentional about language in terms of like, you know, like how, how to communicate certain messages or get certain messages across? Yeah, it, it goes back to the general public speaking advice of know your audience. Hmm. Coaches often ask me for the best way. And what I routinely say is there's no one best way. The best way is whatever's most effective given the context that you're in and the people that you're hoping to connect with. And that's not to skirt the answer and say, you know, well, I'm not going to give you tools or I don't know the specifics. It's because it's true. Very rarely is there one most effective way for any individual to coach a team. I will say that being intentional about relationships being intentional about letting your athletes know who you are, because in the absence of information, there will almost always be misinformation. Yeah. And as biological beings, we are primed to protect ourselves. So that's why we tend to think the worst case scenario thing when there's a gap in information. So if I, as an athlete, don't really know my coach as a person, then when something is a little bit off, I'm going to assume the worst instead of assuming the best. Because think about it, if there's someone you know well, and you've deemed this person to be a good human. And somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, you know, this person said that. And right away you think like, well, that, that doesn't fit. Like, that's not who I know them to be. You're assuming positive intent versus if you didn't know that person, you got the same information, you'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds terrible. And now we're going down the path of confirmation bias of like taking a belief of somebody else and now looking only for confirmation of that judgment or characterization instead of information that points a different direction. So I would say for coaches, be intentional about allowing your athletes to get to know you within professional boundaries of who are you as a person so that they can assume the best if there's miscommunication. Miscommunication is going to happen. And I always say the biggest barrier or biggest challenge facing any team is never an opponent or an injury or even a pandemic. It's the conversations that we are or aren't willing to have with each other. And so yeah. often in the context of a team, we avoid the tough conversations for good intentions, for good reasons. I hear often like, well, I don't want to damage the relationship or I'm worried coach might see me differently if I bring up this thing that's also really important to me. So the invitation is always, okay, how do we create shared understanding and an environment of psychological safety, of transparency, of openness? For you as a coach, when somebody brings you something that's hard to hear, what's your first response? Oftentimes, if this is a situation from the past, one of the first things a coach says is, why didn't you tell me sooner? 
when there's an opportunity there to say, thank you for telling me. This is hard to hear, but it's important to know. So can we lead with gratitude and in doing so, make it more likely that we're going to get that important information sooner than if we simply pass the judgment and put them at fault for not coming forward earlier? You can feel however you want to feel. The words that you choose create a very different environment for the people that you're looking to support. Right. And I actually have a couple of follow-up questions. My first, I'll touch on the psychological safety aspect of it, because I yeah. think that's imperative for, for all coaches. Like, um, and you know, I've been, I haven't been around a ton of coaches so far, but you know, I understand the power of words and I can read body language, right. When a coach says something and it, and it affects a player, I'm curious, you know, in terms of like, in terms of our ability to communicate as coaches, parents, and leaders of, of youth is, you know, what are some of the most important aspects of creating a psychologically safe space? You have to make it safe to fail. Um, mm. Being intentional about, okay, what structure am I setting in practice? What are my reactions? What are my words? What are my judgments? What are my body language? When there is a, a failure, because one thing we know about coaching today's student athletes, when we're talking about Gen Z, they are disproportionately focused on external validation. And so they're also so fearful of their judgment by their peers. And so knowing that this is true, and, and in part it's because of the relationship with technology, the interaction with social media, like they've been conditioned over time to value the opinions of others in a way that's disproportionate to previous generations. As far as what can we do as leaders, as coaches, as parents, as educators is being really conscious of, is this environment safe for them to fail? where they can experience a failure without feeling like they are a failure. This is an important distinction. The language that we use, it's a very different thing if I were to say to someone, you're a selfish person versus saying you made a selfish choice. So can mm -hmm. I separate out the action from the individual and making a judgment on character? Thinking about not just can we make it safe to fail, but how am I validating the people and the voices in the space? Am I making space for all voices to be heard or considered? What judgments might I be making even subconsciously about certain individuals? And the question I like to ask coaches and also athletes, especially when they've interpreted something a certain way is, what are you making it mean? Like this thing happened, this objective thing, what are you making it mean? What's your interpretation of that situation? Are there alternative meetings that might also be possible? And if they were, how would that impact the relationship or the situation or the dynamic? So getting people to think differently than they may have before, but creating an environment where we intentionally allow people to show up as their whole selves and feel safe to do so. I mean, that's the thing that we really need to, to get into is if there's a perception that any individual athlete has to be a certain way in order to be safe and okay in our practice or playing environment, then it's likely we have not hit the mark of psychological safety. It's one of the things I encourage coaches to spend some time on if they're less familiar. Again, no judgment. If you don't know, that's okay. Now is a great time to start learning about the elements of psychological safety. Yeah, no, that's really important. It's really important, I think, you, in that last point, um, just to make sure that those that everyone on the team needs to feel safe and respected and accepted yes. for, for who they are. And, you know, like, let's say, a lot of times like, oh, you're, you're not aggressive enough. Right. Like, yeah. and then just constantly harping, you're not aggressive instead of like, you weren't aggressive on that play or you, you should have pursued that rebound, you know, and, and 
again, it's probably cha changing that language. And, and I feel like that's a big thing that I've always been trying to touch, talk, about, talk about in what you were previously talking about is making it okay to fail. Yeah. Um, and just being like, especially for practice, it's okay to make mistakes and also in games, right? Like I, even when I play pickup, like I've been playing for longer than most of my kids have that a coach have been alive, but I still make mistakes. I still make bad decisions. Yeah. And I try and relay that with them that, that we are all human and that that's okay. Yeah. And even phrasing it, you know, at the start of your, your practice with your team at the start of a season of look, mistakes are part of the game. The goal here is never perfection. Because even if we played the perfect game, it's possible that we might not win. Because maybe the other team also played a perfect game and maybe uncontrollable factors like the officials or the referees or the weather or whatever it happens to be resulted in that team winning. So the, the goal isn't perfection. Mistakes are part of the game. The controllable aspect is what can we learn from the mistakes that we make? How can we minimize mistakes to support success? Exactly. And so I, I wanted to go back to a previous comment you made about, um, you know, the importance of having your players get to know you in a professional yeah. sense. And I was just curious, like what you meant by that and how coaches like myself can, can do that. Yeah. And I say professional sense because oftentimes when I talk about allowing your players to get to know you, some people think oversharing, right? Like, oh, I'm going to talk about my personal life or I'm going to talk about my relationships. And so I always put that kind of professional sense caveat on it because I think there are absolutely ways to let people get to know you as a person without crossing into, you know, oversharing or too much information yeah. or information that isn't relevant to their sport experience. One of the fastest ways is, is humility. Um, and just showing your human side. Oftentimes as leaders, as coaches, as educators, as parents, we feel this responsibility to know and to demonstrate that we have it all figured out. Some of the more connective moments are when we don't know. And are you saying that as a coach? When, a, when an mm -hmm. athlete asks a question, you know, how often do you say to an athlete or to a parent or to a fellow coach, I don't know. Like, that's a great question. Let's explore that a little bit, right? So showing your humility, showing, showing your vulnerability, um, playing with them and not everyone is in a, a physical condition to do that. I understand. So safety first, please be mindful of injuries or ability or whatever you need to do to be safe with them. But can you, can you play with them as far as have fun with them? You know, can you joke around with them? Can you show them your sense of humor? Can you share with them um, a story that maybe relates to your sport about your past, but for a purpose, like I hear a lot of coaches talk about, well, when I was playing, when I was playing, and it's like, yeah, they don't really care. The missing piece is how does the story about you playing provide value for their sport experience? Not just in terms of this is what I would do, but can you make the connection? Can you make it relevant and meaningful for them in this moment? If that's a story that connects, great. If it's not, maybe consider skipping that story. No, I think that's a really interesting point that you that you put it up in terms of uh, just humility and connecting stories. Because I think at first, you know, when I heard you say that, I'm like, oh, do I, should I share, you know, oh, I'm doing this and then this in my life. And then you kind of put it in terms of context. It's not like, no, just in general, just like show your humanness and yeah. show that you're not perfect. Because I think a lot of times that is the biggest disconnect between coach and player is, right. And, and I think, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this in pre-pod call or if I talked about this with someone else is that um, when a player, players are expected to come in every single year and be better than they were last year. 
but coach shows up and mm-hmm. he's the same every year and coach is the same style every year, right. right? Like having that humility to, you know, have that conversation of, oh yeah, I am trying to get better. And I don't know this, but I'm hoping that next year when you're coaching or, you know, next week, I will know this and just yeah. kind of sharing that human side of being a coach. Yep. Yeah. Let them know what you're working on. We're asking them to grow in their skills. Part of our responsibility is to help them develop. I love using the the three W's. So what are you working on? What are you worried about? And what's a recent win that you've had? And you can ask your team this at the start of a training session. And even let's say if you have a larger team and you're like, well, that's you don't have time for them to answer all three questions. Ask the three questions and be specific. So what's one thing you're working on? One thing you're worried about a recent win you've had, and then ask them to pick one, the answer of which they're comfortable sharing with the group. And then you do the same. So when they know what you're working on, like I'm working on, managing the way that I interact with officials. Cool. Now they know you're human and they're like, Oh, like coach is working on their stuff too. That makes a ton of sense. So with the three W's and time ticking on our clock right now, what would be your final piece of advice for, for coaches, educators, leaders, and parents um, to just take away on communication so that they can, you know, obviously continue striving to be a better communicator, not only tomorrow, but next year as well. I would, I would offer that communication is a skill and because it's something most of us do so much of every single day, we've stopped being as intentional about it as we could be. Any amount of intention is going to start to allow you to have the opportunity to improve the quality of your communication. And it's a self-reinforcing thing with improved communication. We start to see better outcomes, better interactions in all areas of our life. And it's motivating and reinforcing to continue down that path. You don't need to listen to a TED talk. You don't need to read a book. You don't need to do anything other than start to cultivate awareness about the kinds of conversations that you're having. What sorts of questions do you tend to ask? Do you tend to speak more than you listen in the average conversation? If you're looking for quick hits, you can go to YouTube. If you type in Betsy Butter, there's 40 ACT videos. ACT stands for Active Communication Technique. These videos are three minutes or less, and they're designed to give anyone, not just those of us in sports, but anyone something that they can do today to start to improve the way that we communicate and connect with each other. If you're looking for something you can do in three minutes or less, I'd highly recommend going to YouTube. If in general, you're like, I don't even have three minutes, simply start with awareness. If you can become more aware of the kind of communicator that you are, how you tend to communicate, you can also start to become curious about what's possible for you and bring greater intention to your communication. Yeah, cultivating that awareness is really key because I know that some, with some people, I'm better at asking questions than naturally listening. And I actually noticed the other day, um, there's, you know, one of my friends is a little bit quieter. And I noticed, you know, when I get together with a couple of other buddies, like, we end up talking over him. So, mm. you know, uh, luckily I had my girlfriend point that out to me. And so that's something I'm, I have to, you know, continue to work on. I have to be yeah. kind of aware. I'm like, oh, wait, he's trying to talk and like we're always talking over him. So, like it's kind of having that awareness that like in some groups you may be a better listener and then with some people you know you're maybe more of a talker and yep. just always trying to you know be better and strive and um, know that we're not perfect so um again you shared your youtube but um what are other ways that people can connect and reach out and, and you know learn from your resources that you put out there yeah sure if you just go to betsybutterick.com all of my Contact info, my social media info is there. So you can connect to Instagram, to LinkedIn, to Twitter. There's also a contact form if you have a specific question or are curious about something related to communication for yourself as a coach. You can reach out to me that way. 
that way as well. My email's there too, if you prefer to not use a form and, and send a direct email. So I would just direct folks to BetsyBetterick.com. Thank you so much for your time and bridging your impact and wisdom on communication to our audience today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I got full page of notes. I got the, the and, who's the audience, Hollywood, humility, <laughs> three W's. So I'm going to have to prioritize the strategies I'll be working on um, right away. But thank you so much for your time today, Betsy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like subscribe, leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts. And this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward and make an impact on the world. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, Cheers.